What do you think makes for a good conversation? Well, what keeps you busy? Yeah, what do you like to do for fun? I think good conversations come from good questions. Maybe about like where they grew up or where their family is. How are you able to apply what we learned last week? So what's your favorite question to ask people? You know, how's your heart doing? Um, what's going on in your heart? Get, get deep and, and go beyond how are you? Faith isn't just what you believe, it's what you do with what you believe. You can believe all the right things, but you don't really trust those things until you use them. Faith is when belief tries what it should. And sometimes you have to try a miracle. Sometimes you have to try some great sacrifice of generosity. But sometimes the thing that you need to try is just a simple conversation.
Father God, we are so excited to set this time aside to be with you. We just invite your presence in. Uh, we ask that you would come and be with us during this time. Uh, Lord, we just ask that our community would be known for its love of each other. Lord, um, in these times when there's uh, just a lot going on uh, with the virus, with the economy, with race relations, Lord, we just pray that our community would be, would be one um, just symbolized by love, Lord, that they would know us because of our love of each other would take care of each other well, God, um, and be known for that uh, throughout the islands, Lord, throughout the nation, um, throughout the world, Lord. Um, let your kingdom come. Um, and today we just pray that you would speak to us through your word, Lord, uh, that you would uh, speak to our hearts as we're listening. Um, help heal us, Lord, in all the ways that we need healing. Um, and we pray that as we get to see each other again, Lord, we just uh, anticipate that with joy. Uh, those times when we get to meet again and see each other um, and be together as a community. So today we just ask for a special blessing over this time uh, and over our nation. In Jesus' name, amen. So not surprisingly this week, uh, my inbox has been flooded with emails of questions about uh, what's going on in our country uh, with respect to demonstrations uh, against the uh, wrongful and brutal death of George Floyd and what exactly we Christians should do about it. Uh, questions uh, like this. Would Jesus march? Would Jesus take part in the mass protests against racism today? Um, and another one. Do you think Jesus would be okay with the looting and violence we see in the demonstrations given how urgent the situation is? Uh, another one. Do you think the local protests might get violent? 
What should we say if the protest becomes less than peaceful? Uh, and another one. Why isn't all of Blue Water being called to the local demonstration? Aren't we against systemic racism? And obviously what I see in a lot of these questions is that, is that we're starting at the same place. And I think we can all agree that what happened to George Floyd was just beyond egregious and heartbreaking. I think that we can all agree that's what's, what's going on in our nation is contending against you know, pain that comes from racial divides. I think we can all agree that Jesus would like to solve that problem, that Jesus stands against racism and is for racial equity. We can probably agree on this important distinction as well. And there's a difference between a protest or a demonstration or a march and, and a riot and, and looting and violence. And what could be more positively American than exercising your right for free speech in the streets in support of a message that you think is powerful? It's hard to argue that Jesus would be okay with some of the violence that we're seeing in these protests. Uh, people getting killed, cops getting shot, doused with gasoline, set on fire, businesses being destroyed, people getting run over. Uh, all of that stuff hardly seems helpful. We can agree on the importance of what is going on in our nation uh, right now, but still be a little bit confused about how best to engage. People are imperfect and, and the discourse that people are going to be having and the events that people are going to be having, they're going to be imperfect. And we all need to find our way of navigating through that with Jesus. The best overall recommendation for all of us is to do something, but to navigate the situation as best you can in concert with discussions with, with those whom you love and trust. But be clear about what you have to offer. Be clear about what it is that you want to say. Be clear-headed as well as full-hearted and, and work that through with Jesus and with the guidance of the Holy Spirit. My walk with Christ in the area of, of, of peace and justice and racial reconciliation has been important to me uh, for a long time. Um, I intentionally moved into a couple of the most violent, crime-ridden inner-city neighborhoods in America and spent the better part of, of I guess, 12 years in these places uh, for the sake of ministry and for the sake of, of Christ, trying to make a contribution and, and trying to learn, talking uh, deeply with the Lord, um, trying some things that worked and a lot of things that didn't. And I guess what I'm saying is this is supposed to be a lifelong journey for us. Um, this calling does not go away. It's not just about this week. Uh, it's about years to come and your wisdom will deepen and your skills will sharpen. Right now, you're being begged to take sides on different things all of the time. Uh, to make a reaction and to be passionate about it. Well, you're only human. And the Lord will guide you to better places, to more powerful places as this continues. But a couple of the questions I, I got this week you know, are in the mold of what would Jesus do? Would Jesus march? What would Jesus say about the mass violence and the looting and stuff like that? Uh, and for me, when I think about how Jesus would behave in a situation like this, and I look at the Jesus stories that we find in scripture, honestly, I get a little freaked out. As Jesus, those of you who know the stories, astutely avoided political engagement during his ministry on earth. 
his people, the Jews, were being mercilessly oppressed by the Roman machine during Jesus's day, a machine that was designed for oppression and designed for exploitation. There were public lynchings of Jews by the Romans daily and, and at least weekly in Jerusalem. They had a special hill for it. They called it Golgotha and, and they would crucify uh, Jews up there regularly in order to keep the populace uh, in control. It was a terrible situation. And when they first thought that Jesus was the Messiah, they expected him to be a zealot. Jesus had some zealot, zealots and justice warriors in his, in his personal um, team, uh, you might recall. One of them, uh, Judas, uh, became disappointed in Jesus's failure to engage the issues that he thought was important. And so Judas betrayed Jesus uh, to the temple officials and ultimately to those Romans. When the crowd had a choice between saving the life of Jesus and saving the life of Barabbas, who was an insurrectionist, a justice warrior of the Jews, they chose Barabbas, not Jesus. Uh, Jesus had pursued justice in a different way. He didn't wage the battle like uh, the Jews of his day waged the battle. Instead, he preached a message of peace. He set in motion a long-term process. He built a kingdom. He built a church that would cure divides over the centuries, not just racial divides, but gender divides and, 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 and religious divides. Um, he played the long game and it cost him dearly, but I still think following the ways of Christ, even if provocative and even if challenging, is probably the way to go. So one of the questions we got was, why isn't all of Blue Water being called out to the local demonstrations? Um, you know, I think I have a lot of confidence uh, in, in the Blue Water people, and I think that everyone will do what they need to do uh, in this moment. We are going to make an incredibly positive impact on peace in this world and justice in our own communities. I believe that. Um, Jesus in, in, in his posse, remember had people from all over the political spectrum. Somehow he got zealots to work with tax collectors, to work with working class stiffs. Be gracious to everyone around you and trust the purposes of God working in each one. We are going to see not just reconciliation, but revival. Good morning, Blue Water Ohana. A special welcome to those visiting and joining us for the first time. You make our community rich and all of us look forward to meeting you. Now I wanna give everyone an update about our opening day. We've been online for almost three months now. We've learned a lot, but we're also looking forward to physically gather again. And since the mayor's proclamation that churches could gather, we've been in conversation with our landlords about the best way and how and when to meet. As of today, they haven't given us an exact date yet, but we're working on it. We expect to gather in the gym within a few weeks, and we'll keep you updated about that. If you aren't on our weekly newsletter sign up, uh, sign up for that so you can be in the loop. Just go to our webpage, bluewatermission.org, and enter your email address. Well, our vehicle is modified, but our hearts and our methods prevail. 
Jesus says, for where there are two or three gathered in my name, there I am with them. Thank you, Jesus, for joining us. All right, let's continue our worship with our offering. You can give in two ways, online at our website or via post. Just send your checks to our office. If you're new or visiting, feel no obligation to give. All right, kids, you know what time it is. Stand up, we'd love to pray for you. Oh, Father, we thank you for our children. We thank you uh, for the way in which they make this community vibrant with their presence and their ministry. Uh, we bless their time uh, to be a time of serious play, uh, a time in which they get to experience joy and your love, uh, and we pray that that time would be taken seriously. Uh, and we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Faith is when belief tries what it should. And sometimes you have to try a miracle. Sometimes you have to try some great sacrifice of generosity. But sometimes the thing that you need to try is just a simple conversation. Do you want to make a difference for people? Do you want to spread the kingdom of heaven here on earth? Do you believe that you should gather people into that kingdom? If you're a student of the Gospels, if you read a lot of Jesus stories, one of the things that you notice is that he asks a lot of questions and he very rarely answers a question straight. He always responds to a question with another question. Jesus has a way of asking the more significant question, the one that ought to be asked in the conversation. I counted this up once. In the Gospels, Jesus is recorded as asking you know, something like over 300 questions. But by my count, he only gives straight answers a couple of times. He's always trying to take people to a deeper level of conversation. And he uses questions to do that. Now, at Blue Water Mission, we have this tradition. It's called the five discipleship questions. And I'm on a quiz. I'm on a quiz the the leaders present in the room today see if they remember the five discipleship questions. We drill these a lot. They are great ways to get into a conversation or to deepen a conversation to make interactions significant. So what's the first discipleship question? What's God been saying to you about? What's God been saying to you recently? And if you're talking to somebody who isn't used to thinking about God, you can alter that and just say, hey, what's the significant thing going on in your life? What are you thinking about these days? Uh, what's, what's happening uh, for you? What's the second discipleship question? What are you doing about that? Because discipleship is follow-through. Follow -through. Discipleship is follow-through. And so the second discipleship question is, well, how are you following through? Think about that with me a little bit. That's going to make for a significant interaction. What's the third discipleship question? What's getting in the way? What's getting in the way? What's hard about that? Something significant is going on. You want to do something about it. What's getting in the way? What's challenging you? Fourth discipleship question? Who are you bringing along? Did you miss that one? I but skipped ahead. You skipped ahead. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, who are you bringing along? If you, are, if you are living a significant life, if you're living a life following Jesus, then you're constantly trying to develop people around you. That's not arrogance. That's just kingdom 101. So as significant things are going on in your life, 
Who are you influencing? Who are you including in your life? It's a fantastic question to ask people. Discipleship question number five. How can I help? So that's the money question. Whatever significant is going on uh, with you, how can I be a part of it? How can I help? What's God saying to you recently? What are you doing about it? What's getting in the way? Who are you trying to bring along? You're trying to influence. How can I help? If you got 100% extra points in heaven today, give yourself a hand, everyone. Well done. Uh, the beauty uh, of, of questions and getting into significant interactions with people via questions is that while you know, people might know what to preach, while people might have wisdom within them, maybe even the wisdom of Christ within them, those people often don't know how to bring their wisdom to bear on the people around them, how to turn that into a blessing for the people around them. And, and no matter how you cut it, uh, the, the solution is to interact with the people uh, around you, to interact with people where they're at, where they're coming from. And you don't know how to give people answers until you ask them questions. That's how you get into it. We are during, doing a, a sermon series out of the book of Acts. We are in Acts chapter 8 this week. Um, the end of chapter 8, you can turn there now in your Bibles, wherever you are, and we will throw up the scripture on the big screen. This is a continuation of the story of a fellow named Philip. Not Philip, who was one of Jesus' big 12 uh, apostles, but Philip, uh, who was appointed as uh, one of the helpful elders of the church in Jerusalem. What has happened to the church in Jerusalem is that great persecution has broken out against it. And so the leaders of the church um, have fled uh, all around the region. Last week we read about how Philip went to uh, Samaria uh, and he brought the gospel to the Samaritans, did a bunch of miracles there, and basically evangelized an entire city and ultimately brought the presence of the Holy Spirit to them. And we pick up the story of Philip in verse 26, uh, right as uh, he's wrapping things up in uh, Samaria. And the story goes like this. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road, that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out. And on his way, he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and on his way home was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. Um, the Jewish religion had migrated to Ethiopia years before. Actually, its first presence in Ethiopia is kind of lost to history. We don't know how it got there. Legend says that the prophet Jeremiah uh, took the worship of the one true God to Ethiopia in the years uh, directly following the first ransacking of, of the temple in Jerusalem. Um, but Ethiopian followers of God would migrate to Jerusalem to worship God there. And uh, this guy uh, uh, is an official of the kingdom of Ethiopia, uh, you know, uh, uh, an African kingdom in North Africa, high official. He went to Jerusalem. He's worshiping 
the one true God there. He's evidently on his way home. He's setting, heading back south into Africa. Um, and uh, Philip encounters that guy reading from the prophet Isaiah. And the Spirit told Philip, we read in verse 29, go to that chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you're reading? Philip asked. How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. The eunuch was reading this passage of scripture. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before the shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from earth. Uh, and uh, right away, uh, you students of Scripture will recognize that as a prophecy about Jesus, about the Messiah. So it just so happens that this uh, Ethiopian official was reading uh, a predictive scripture about Jesus when Philip, the evangelist, sidles up next to him. The eunuch asked Philip, tell me please, who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? Then Philip began, began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. Snaps. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, look, here is water. Why shouldn't I be baptized? Well, that's convenient. <laughs> and he gave orders to stop the chariot. He would have had a driver. A chariot was like a limo in those days. He gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water and Philip baptized him. And when they came up out of the water... The Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. So most people interpret that as sort of a, a miracle of transportation. He got beamed up and uh, just vanished um, before uh, the Ethiopian's eyes. Philip, however, appeared at Azotus another city in the region, and traveled about preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. Cool story. Cool story. Um, Philip the Evangelist, uh, he is sometimes called, and stories like this is where he gets his nickname. Philip has just evangelized a city, you know, a whole city. And the thing about evangelism is that evangelism always begets other evangelism. The dude is on a roll. Uh, but what I'd like us to notice about this story is all the supernatural things that God does simply to put Philip in a position to have a conversation. Everything else is just a lead up so that Philip can execute a significant conversation. Uh, with this guy. So Philip is hanging out in Samaria and the Spirit of the Lord speaks to him supernaturally and says, go to the south road, go south on the road, the desert road, head toward Gaza. And Philip, having received that supernatural prompting from the Spirit, takes off walking down the road. And at that point, he bumps into this traveling uh, African official. And then 
The spirit, speaking supernaturally, prompts Philip to go stay near the chariot. The chariot would have been moving along. Probably Philip needed to either walk really quickly or jog next to the chariot, uh, which would have been, I don't know, a little bit awkward. Remember, this is an official. There was a little pomp and circumstance around this guy. So Philip kind of had to butt into his sphere, had to kind of shoulder into his social distance, you know, in an interesting way. Um, Philip just kept his eyes open, right? Noticed that this Ethiopian official was, uh, was reading from scripture. I think, well, let me ask a question. Do you understand uh, what you're reading? Um, what do you think about what you're reading? I, you know, what, what, what are you reading there? I mean, it's a pretty good conversation opener and it just, you know, just, turns out that this official was reading um, a prophecy about Jesus. Well, now the conversation is, is off and running. And, and eventually Philip gets an opportunity to explain how the Old Testament, which the Ethiopians had been following for centuries at this point in some capacity, how the Old Testament was really a lead up uh, to, to the New Testament, to the coming of Jesus and how Christ fulfilled the Old Testament prophecies and how it all worked together. And the official is like, man, I'm there, I'm it. And then they come up to water. I don't know if it was a creek or a pond or water trough uh, for watering animals on the road. I'm not sure what it was, but everything kind of lines up. Uh, you might've heard the phrase divine appointment. It seems like an appointment that God had set up for Philip just to be present in this guy's life on that day. So the baptism happens. I mean, it goes, it goes like soup to nuts in one afternoon. The guy hears the good news. The guy gets baptized. Um, and his discipleship journey, the Ethiopian's discipleship journey, starts uh, a whole new level. At which point, Philip gets transported by God, evidently. It's like, suddenly he's no longer there, you know. I, I guess you can interpret that as, as meaning after the baptism, Philip spun on his heels and ran away, and, and the Ethiopian, like, didn't know where he went. I think probably that's not the right interpretation because that would have been kind of rude, um, kind of weird. Uh, I think the Lord just, like, took Philip away. Well, now I have someplace else to take you. Uh, Time is of the essence. You're on a mission. You're on a roll, Philip. Let's get moving. Uh, in any case, Philip, it says that it, he appears. He just manifests. He, get, he gets beamed in uh, to this town called Azotus, where he does what he does. He begins evangelizing around there uh, as well. Fascinating story. Um, I think fairly frequently when this passage is preached, uh, it's, it's preached in a way that emphasizes all of the supernatural things in the story. And the Spirit of the Lord speaks to Philip and sends him on, um, sends him south on the desert road. And, you know, a good preacher will tell you, hey, keep your spiritual ears open to the guidance of the Holy Spirit. If you want to be a good evangelist, let the Spirit lead you. And that's a great sermon. You should definitely do that. And then once uh, Philip identifies the eunuch, the Holy Spirit speaks again and says, yeah, go, go stay near that guy. 
You know, it's just like step-by-step -step instructions. The Spirit does not download for Philip the whole set of instructions, doesn't tell him what's going to happen. The Spirit just tells him the next step, right? Go, go, go hang out over there. Just, just go. We'll, we'll see what happens. And a good preacher would tell you, hey, when the Lord leads you in ministry, very often the Lord will just lead you step by step. All you need is the next step. I don't want you to worry about the future. I don't want you to worry about having the big picture. I don't want you to need guarantees about anything. But when the Holy Spirit gives you a little nudge, even if it's just a little one, even if it's just one step, be sensitive to the nudge and follow through on it. Step by step, one thing at a time. And that would be a pretty good sermon to preach. You guys with me so far? When I read this passage, what I know, notice, is that God does all of these supernatural things merely to put Philip in position. Philip still has to pull the trigger. Philip still has to have the conversation. He has to figure out how to start the conversation. Hey, what are you reading? He has to butt in to this guy's life. It turns out that it's a fairly smooth conversation in this instance because if you're jogging next to someone and they're reading uh, a messianic prophecy from the book of Isaiah, that's an in. That's going to be a fairly easy evangelistic conversation to have. Uh, so this was a real setup. But the Lord could have done any number of miracles to evangelize this North African official. Instead, what the Lord did is he just put a believer in a position to have a conversation. Start a conversation and to see where it went. And it turns out that this conversation, a very short order, leads to, to a baptism. And this Ethiopian official, an influential man, would have taken the gospel back to the courts of the Queen of Ethiopia. And uh, Christianity started so early in Ethiopia that historians can't even tell you when it started. It seems like it started at the very beginning, and Ethiopia has been a largely uh, Christian uh, nation at least in large part, ever since. It worked. It worked because Philip started a what? Conversation. Started a conversation with a decent question. And then the Lord does a supernatural miracle immediately after and takes Philip to a different place. You know, he doesn't appear in the sky in Azotus. The Lord doesn't. Instead, he just puts Philip there and I imagine gives him some promptings. Philip, start some more conversations. See where they go, man. See where they go. Start a conversation and just be you. Ask a significant question and see what happens. And that's how these guys changed the world. That's how they did it. Town by town, region by region, and in this case, nation by nation. He changed a nation by striking up a conversation. And that's a pretty cool story. God doesn't necessarily do the evangelism himself. God puts you in a position to do evangelism. And, and that's a simple insight that can make a huge difference in, in your life. Don't just walk like a zombie through the day. Keep your spirit open to those little nudges of the Lord. Keep your eyes open and observe what's going on in the people around you. And you might see an opportunity to, wait for it, ask somebody a question ask somebody a significant question. Nation-changing stories somehow, sometimes start that way. God might, right now, be going to great lengths, 
merely to put you in position to strike up a conversation with someone. God might have designed things with amazing intricacy. Some foreign visitor here, moving you there, lining up just so, putting a book in place, merely so that you can ask somebody a significant question. And great fruit can happen. Great gathering can happen if you're just open to that simple human interaction. That seems to be what the story is suggesting, and, and I love it. Uh, we have a saying at Blue Water, a meal plus one significant conversation is a kingdom event. One of the things that you notice if you read through the Gospels is that Jesus is always sitting down for meals with people. You know, from uh, the wedding at Cana to the Last Supper to dinner at the home of Simon the leper, dinner at the home of Mary and Martha in Bethany. And all of those dinner party scenes uh, involve Q&A. Jesus asking significant questions of people and getting them to consider things a bit more deeply in order to push forward their relationship with God, whether that relationship is just starting or whether that relationship has matured into something that's ministry-oriented. So a meal plus a significant question is a kingdom event. Amen. Amen. So too, I think, a cup of coffee and one significant question is a kingdom event. If you can have a meal with someone, but you grab a cup of coffee with someone and you ask them one significant conversation, one significant question, well, then that becomes a significant conversation. And great things can happen that way. So too, a 15-minute drive plus one significant question is a kingdom event. You got some time with someone, it might be a 10-minute or a 15-minute increment, ask them a significant question. Ask them a discipleship question. Hey, well, what do you think God's prompting you to do in life right now? You can ask that question of believers. You can even ask that question of non-believers and see where it goes. Great conversations can start that way. In your neighborhood, a morning greeting to a neighbor plus one significant conversation can be a kingdom event. Hey, good morning, how's it going? Hey, what meaningful thing is happening in your life recently? You know, might seem a tad bit awkward, but there's gonna be a response. There's gonna be a, a deepening of the conversation and you can never tell where that's gonna go. The Lord might have lined it up for you. See where it leads. Um, a significant question is always a kingdom event. Um, here's my tip for applying this uh, in your life. Practice asking significant questions all the time. Practice them in your, in your house. Practice them with your family. Practice them with your Ohana group. Practice them at work. Practice them uh, at school, even if your school is, is uh, online. Just Practice asking a significant question. Have one in mind that you want to try out today, uh, wherever you are. Uh, could be, uh, what do you think about these days? Kwok, what are you thinking about these days? Um, thinking about just uh, my family. You're just thinking about your family. And, 
And, and what's the most meaningful thing going on in your family these days? Uh, just making sure that they're healthy and they're doing well. Making sure that they're healthy and they're doing well. Um, how do you do that? Uh, Checking on them, pray for them. Checking on them and, and pray for them. What are you best at when it comes to caring for your family? Uh, mainly just spending time with them. Spending time, spending quality time with them. I could go on, but already we're having a significant conversation. And it's not like deeply spiritual yet, uh, but, but I'm, I'm getting there. I'm getting there. Um, I am not a great conversationalist. Gasp. Really? No. no. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm not. Um, but this question asking thing has been a huge deal in, in my life. You know, when you travel on airplanes and like you sit down next to a stranger and there's kind of that awkward moment where, uh, you know, you're either going to talk to them or you're going to set up that boundary uh, and then not talk to them uh, for the rest of your flight. I like to set up the boundary you know, <laughs> uh, uh, when I kind of. But every once in a while, I do a lot of, of airline travel. Every once in a while, I s sit down. I feel like the Lord prompts me, like, we'll strike up a conversation, and I, I stink at it. Uh, and so my go-to is, like, well, you know, get, get the conversation started, however, but then get around to a, a conversation. So here, here's some stories about conversations uh, that I've had. Maybe uh, you've heard one or two of them. I was uh, flying on an airplane out of uh, Oregon once. And I'm sitting in this little airplane. I'm sitting down uh, at the tail end of the plane in one of those tiny seats, you know. And this guy walks in and he sits down next to me. And he's this huge guy, shaved head. He probably weighs about 250 pounds. And he, he squeezes his next to me, sits down, and he opens his magazine. And the magazine is, is titled Combat Handguns. So, you know, I feel like the Lord say, well, go. You know, start a conversation. So I'm like, oh, so you're into guns. And he's like, yeah. Um, I'm a professional mercenary. And so, well, now, now we have something interesting to talk about. It's like, oh, well, you know, what do you do exactly? What countries have you been in? Who hires you? Uh, stuff like that. Um, so easy questions to ask. And then I just felt like I got to make this significant. And I asked him, why do you think you ended up becoming a professional soldier for hire? And he thought about that for a second, and he said, from my very early days, I just felt like I needed to protect people. Where did that come from? And it turns out, you know, he had some abusive situations in his childhood. By the time we get off the plane, get into the airport, uh, we are kneeling down in the waiting area, and I am praying for him to receive Christ right there. And then at the end of that interaction, he picks out a, a business card, he hands it to me and says, Man, wherever you are in the world, if you get stuck, call that number. And it's like, yes, that's what you want. You want a squad of professional mercenaries <laughs> on your side uh, in, this, in this kingdom life. By the time I got on a plane, this was also flying out of Oregon, actually. And, and this young lady uh, got on. She, she uh, uh, scoped out the plane. I could see uh, people were free to choose their seats. And then she sat down next to me and immediately ordered a vodka. And this was like 8 in the morning. And, and the, we were flying a connection into Vegas. And then from Vegas, I was going on somewhere else. And so she's, you know, says, well, I'm looking forward to this trip. Oh, you're going to Vegas. Why? And turns out her mother was dying and she was going to Vegas to blow off steam just to refresh 
herself. Uh, and uh, to make the long story short, she, she had scoped the plane and sat down next to me because she wanted to hit on me. She thought I was going to Vegas and she wanted to hook up with a guy when she got there because she was just trying to get out of her head and just have a wild weekend. And you know, I kind of, well no, I, I, I can't uh, do that. Uh, and started explaining a little bit about my life and she immediately goes off on Christian hypocrites and stuff like that. And I get a little nudge from the spirit and I say, yeah, what would make a good church for you? You know, and, and she told me she was a professional stripper. That was her job. And, uh, and she described what she felt a church for strippers should be like. Uh, by the end of the flight, I was praying for her, for the Holy Spirit to come upon her. And I gave her uh, uh, the name of some churches in her area that she could check out. One more air air airplane conversation story. I'm sitting on an airplane. This time Sonia is next to me, but somehow I get stuck in the middle between Sonia and, and the passenger that's next to us. Usually you want Sonia next to the passenger <laughs> because she's a good conversationalist and very extroverted, but somehow I got stuck in that spot and, and the guy sitting next to us is this young guy, uh, very well-dressed, good-looking fellow, uh, and uh, we're just sort of exchanging pleasantries. And, and I just noticed he looks very tired. So I, I, so I asked, sort of rudely, why are you so worn out, man? And it's like, well, I don't know, I've just been working very hard and there's a lot of stress. How do you cope with that? Well, he said sometimes they don't cope very well. Um, you know, lately I've been drinking a lot. How much do you need to drink to feel better? I asked. And pretty soon, he's basically confessing to me that, that he has become an alcoholic uh, due to his stress. And then I asked a question that I thought was pretty good. I said, what does it take to change a person, do you think? And we were off and running. By the end of the flight, I was praying for that guy, and we exchanged emails afterwards. I don't, I don't actually know uh, what became of him, but um, praying for him that the Holy Spirit would bring change into his life. I feel like when I get on a plane and I sit next to a person, I can always have a significant conversation by asking a meaningful question. And I have questions at the ready all the time. I'm also kind of open to the prompting of the Holy Spirit. Um, if he gives me a prompt, I feel like I can always trigger. Now, I can't guarantee that those conversations are going to turn out fruitfully. You know, but I, but I can do it. I can do it. It's a simple human thing that often releases a great deal of supernatural power. The most basic element of evangelism is talking to people, having conversations. And the most basic element of having conversations is asking questions. Practice. Father God, we pray uh, that you would set us up to be fruitful, to be salt and light in the world. We pray for nudges, we pray for direction, but you know, we pray for simple follow through as well. I pray, Father, that you would put questions on our lips and then answers uh, for questions. I pray, Lord, that what is in our hearts from you would find a way to get out into the world around us. 
In Jesus' name, amen. Hey there, family. We're getting so close to worshiping together in person again, and it's gonna be really great. In the meantime, we're so grateful for your continued fellowship and unity through these online services. Your choice to prioritize worshiping God in times of crisis is gonna bear important fruit for you in the season ahead. We are in this together and the Blue Water Prayer Team wants to support you. If you need a special touch from God today, maybe you have a specific prayer request, please email julie at bluewatermission.org with your name and your phone number. And one of our team will be happy to call you back between 10.30 and 11 today to pray with you. Please give the Holy Spirit a chance to do for you what only God can do. Like so many before us, we're all trying to serve well in turbulent times. Think of the Apostle Paul. He poured his energies into the heights of religious study, and then he tried the best he could to reform society the best way he knew how. And then God's grace turned him inside out and upside down. After that, Paul crossed every division of his day with the good news of God's forgiveness, and it was rooted deeply in his own heart. In his letter to his young friend Timothy, Paul boils it down to this soundbite. 1 Timothy 1.15 says, This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am chief. So as we say goodbye today, be encouraged, you guys. Our God is a savior, and his name is Jesus. While you're not gonna read that in today's headlines, it is the faithful message that holds water and has worth beyond any other. God's unmerited mercy changes the world from the inside out. So like Paul, like Philip, like the Ethiopian official, this week, let's receive God's forgiveness for ourselves and then share it wherever we go. Thank you guys, we love you, we're praying for you, and we will see you very soon.